You are listening to the Women in Youth Ministry podcast. My name is Heather Lee Kennison, and I am the host of this podcast as well as the founder of Women in Youth Ministry. We are a part of the Youth Cartel Podcast Network, and a link to that network can be found in our description box. You can check out our website, womeninyouthministry.com, to read our blog, follow our social media, and join our Facebook community. Thank you so much for tuning in to celebrate the voices of women. Hey, everybody, and welcome back to this week's episode of the Women in Youth Ministry podcast. This week, our guest is Shannon Green. Shannon is a confirmation director at the United Methodist Church of the Resurrection in Leewood, Kansas. And I have known Shannon uh, unofficially since high school. Shannon, why don't you say hi and introduce yourself? Hi, everyone. I'm Shannon. I'm so happy to be here. I, I love Heather. I love Women in Youth Ministry podcast, and I'm thrilled to be joining you all today. I'm so excited you're here. So I would love for you to introduce yourself a little bit. Um, maybe tell us a few fun facts, a little bit about who you are, just anything that'll help us get to know you. So um, like Heather, we both grew up in St. Louis, Missouri, and um, I one thing that may be unique about me is that I am a huge St. Louis Cardinals fan. Mm-hmm. So that's a baseball team if you are not familiar with the baseball <laughs> or sports. And uh, so we, we subscribe to MLB TV subscription every year. We try to catch as many games as possible. And um, in St. Louis, Missouri, as a, as a student growing up in the Church of the Nazarene, I was called into ministry at the young age of 12 years old in seventh grade. And so I've, I've tried to faithfully pursue that call uh, my whole life. And I was, um, again, in the Church of the Nazarene was where I grew up. I'm now a Methodist. And there's, there's not a, a whole lot of difference between the Nazarenes and the Methodists, I like to say that the Nazarenes are a bit more uh, socially conservative than the United Methodists, but they both trace their roots back to John Wesley and the Methodist movement. And, um, but I've, I've gone to college for, for ministry. I majored in youth and family ministry at MedAmerica Nazarene University. And then I went on from college to seminary to Nazarene Theological Seminary, where I got my master of arts in Christian formation and discipleship. I was originally ordained as an elder in the Church of the Nazarene, um, but at this point, I am now working on the the pastoral licensing and credentialing process in the United Methodist Church. So that's a little bit about me. So you work at one of, okay, one of the largest, (laughs) I don't know why I said one of, (laughs) you work at the largest United Methodist Church uh, in in the world, right? I mean, I don't know. It's in the United States. There's some bigger ones in like South Korea, I think. Really? I didn't know that. Mm -hmm. Cool. Well, that sounds less cooler than the world, but it's still pretty cool. Church of the Res is like the church that all the United Methodist churches are like, oh, what are they doing? Like, <laughs> I work at a large United Methodist Church, and I have to tell you, it's it's kind of annoying, the love for Church of the Res, 
but to be honest, like I love it too. Like I listen to the sermons. It's a love-hate relationship, I know. <laughs> Hate because I'm always like, what's Church of the Res doing? Love because I love what you guys are doing. I love the preaching. I will listen to the sermons just like on my own sometimes. Um, I went to a conference for um, student pastors a few years ago and I met you in person, which was mm-hmm. fun. Yeah, that was so great. And Adam Hamilton spoke at it. And I was like, I, I was not uh, starstruck of him then. But then afterwards, when I told people that Adam Hamilton was there, they were like, oh my God, was it the you met Adam? life? You met Adam? And I was like, is this big deal? Because I still feel like a new Methodist. You know? Well, yeah, we didn't grow up Methodist. So we kind of don't really get the whole like, you know, Church of the Resurrection, Adam Hamilton's starstruckness. And like, I just work here. Like, he's just like, my boss's boss's boss but right. like you know but yeah we I I love where I work I love um the people I get to work with it is a huge honor it's a huge privilege and um I definitely don't try to take it for granted even though it is just like it is just where I work and it's just the ministry that I get to do for sure it's cool and I've met several of the youth staff there and you guys are just so like down to earth and just wicked wicked smart so I'm excited (laughs) to have you on today because you're going to be sharing with us about confirmation yeah um confirmation is such a key part of our uh, faith journeys as Methodists um and it's so cool that you'll be talking about that with us today because your full-time job is confirmation yes So could you tell us a little bit about what confirmation is? Because I did not come from a background that had confirmation and I'm assuming the Nazarenes don't have Mm -hmm. confirmation either. So let's like explain it bare bones for anyone who does not come from that background. Yes, definitely. So in church traditions, in denominations that tend to baptize babies, baptize infants, confirmation is kind of like the second half of that baptism. So you know, parents make a choice to baptize their baby. And then usually at that baptism, the pastor will say something like, do you commit to raise the child in the church until one day when they can confirm their faith for themselves? And so confirmation then is kind of like the second half of that baptism. So the kid grows up and becomes a middle schooler, becomes a teenager, and then they go through confirmation and they have a chance to confirm the vows that were made at their baptism and actually claim faith for themselves. I like to say it's their chance to like say yes to Jesus um, since their parents said yes to Jesus for themselves when they were a baby. And so I I love confirmation. I know you do too, Heather, but yeah, it wasn't something that I was familiar with until I became a part of the Methodist church. And confirmation is both like kind of the one-time ceremony, but -hmm. it's also like the series of classes Mm -hmm. or sessions that the, the, the student goes through to be able to then claim faith for themselves. So some traditions, like they take confirmation classes for like two years. Like I think it perhaps Lutherans Lutherans and Catholics and Presbyterians. Mm -hmm. Ours is like about six or seven months. How long do you, confirmation classes go at your church, Heather? It's a school year process for us, but we also bill like our entire middle school experience kind of around confirmation because we do old, we do the Bible, Old Testament, New Testament in fifth and sixth grade. 
And then in eighth grade, we talk about spiritual gifts. So we like try to bill and market to parents. Like this entire four year experience is crucial to your kid's mm-hmm. faith. Like and life and beyond. And it is, but we also like bill it that way. But like fifth and sixth grade, it's like pre-confirmation. Eighth grade <laughs> is like post-confirmation because confirmation is so important to it our is. families. If they hear pre and post, they're like, oh yeah, we got to do that. I love that. And we're, we're trying to work that way as well here at Resurrection because a lot of our families, they, they enroll their students in confirmation, but we don't see them before confirmation. And then we often don't see them so much after confirmation either. So we're really trying to change the narrative and the culture around confirmation. Um, so I love that you're doing that. And we're trying to really work, work that kind of culture and narrative into our, our system here as well. Mm-hmm. So, you know, through confirmation, uh, students, and yeah, again, it's, it's typically middle schoolers here in the Methodist church. Sometimes it's as early as sixth grade. It's sometimes it's as late as eighth grade. I've even seen high schoolers go through it. We offer it here at Resurrection anywhere from eighth grade up to, up to seniors in high school if they, in case they missed it when they are in eighth grade. Yep, but during confirmation, students, they explore their faith. We encourage them to ask tough questions. They dive deep into scripture. They're usually in a peer group with their friends, with other students their age. They have mentors or adult leaders who are guiding them through this journey. And at the end, at least here at our church, we always give them a choice whether or not they want to be confirmed. So we have this great retreat night and they have a one-on-one with their mentor and their mentor says, hey, do you have any final questions or thoughts before you get confirmed in a week or so? And are you ready to be confirmed? Are you ready to make this commitment to say yes to Jesus, to join the church, to make a full commitment in your faith to Christ, because we don't want this to be something that is coerced or they feel peer pressured to do. We want this to be something that they are committing to and choosing for themselves. So that's kind of confirmation in a nutshell. You know, again, there's a lot of more evangelical traditions that don't really do that, but I think it's a great thing for, for any church to kind of build a sort of discipleship program in, in sort of this model. It's been really cool to see some evangelical churches um, doing their own form of confirmation. Once I understood what confirmation was, I thought, oh, this actually isn't that foreign to me because in the Baptist church, we work really hard. Like membership is a Mm -hmm. very important concept. Like it, it, like once you're a member, like you have to behave like a member. Yeah, <laughs> you, you have to vote. Like you have responsibilities because uh, it's a congregationalist model. And if the congregation isn't invested, then the model doesn't work. And so we had some pretty intense membership classes before you join the church. That's just very, very Baptist, uh, like uh, theology, or um, I don't know if that's the word, but that that's the way it goes. Yeah. So when I <laughs> heard about confirmation, I thought, oh, this actually is pretty similar to the membership classes that I took. Like, where does our faith come from? And what does it look like today? And how do I choose to live it out on my own? So it's, it's such a basic concept, but it's so important. And I would say it's really important for middle schoolers in particular, because they're like in a stage where um, they are processing who they are mm-hmm. and, uh, where they fit in around them Yes, and to teach them about the history of their faith and then tell them 
you fit into a church family, I think is so age appropriate. Yes. So, and it's calling them to be a part of something larger, a larger story, mm-hmm. something bigger than themselves, a bigger community. I love that. I love that part of confirmation. For sure. So you have three C's on what <laughs> it takes to make confirmation successful. So like the three C's of confirmation. A I'm a sucker for alliteration. <laughs> I mean, who isn't? It's a youth pastor in all of us, right? <laughs> so walk us through these three C's of confirmation. So I'll, I'll give them to you first. They are, they are curriculum, communication, and commitment. Love so, it. Um, curriculum is the first one. I uh, Christian education is my heartbeat. It's where um, I, it's what I majored in in college and in seminary. Um, so curriculum is, is what you want to cover. It's your, it's your big topics. It's your theological bedrocks. It's the actual content and material of, of what you're going to have your students study. And I think that what's really important about your curriculum is it needs to be accessible to both your students, but also to your leaders, you, to your volunteers, your teachers, your mentors, whoever is going to be walking your students through this curriculum. And I think a lot of times people, they only think about one or the other. Youth pastors, we're, we, we want it to be fun for students, but we are not necessarily thinking about how our mentors are going to be able to teach this. Or we think about, are our mentors able to teach this? But it's very one-sided. And so I try to really approach this as, is it accessible to both mentors and students? Um, so for resurrection, I really try to set up our curriculum that our mentors are going to feel confident and comfortable to be able to teach this curriculum. So a lot of times we have parents as our mentors and they say, I don't feel confident to be able to teach theology to middle Mm -hmm. schoolers. So we've set it up. So they're not having to teach the really hard theological concepts. We've created Mm -hmm. these really great videos so that our pastors and our, and our like youth directors are the ones teaching the hard theology And then our mentors, our adult volunteers, they're really just acting as facilitators. So Mm -hmm. they can feel really confident coming into a classroom or a small group of students and and they have everything they need to be successful, to be equipped, to then just lead just amazing conversations with their students. And they don't have to feel like they have to be the theological experts in the room. Yeah, we have it set up the same way. We use a small groups model in confirmation. And so we, um, before COVID, we had like an upfront teacher, but during COVID we've used videos. And so they watch their 10 to 12 or 15, sometimes 16 minute video. It's confirmation. So sometimes it gets lengthy. Um, And then they, we give small group leaders a guide and they go through the guide with their students. And we, 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 we think of it as you want to make your small group leaders job as easy as possible. Exactly. And just set up the environment for faith to happen. Yeah. And that's exactly what we want them to do. So we want them to, to set up the environment for faith to happen. I think you said it perfectly. And we want them to just take the pressure off to feel like they need to be the ones with the MDiv or the, the mm-hmm. seminary education. Yep. <laughs> but then from the student side, you want them to have fun in confirmation. You know, confirmation yes. isn't just about like learning everything in the Bible. You want, you know, I think there's a distinction between catechism and confirmation. You know, catechism, I think of more as like that rote memorization piece where you have to just like learn all these facts. And, you know, you think of like the Westminster catechism or the Lutheran catechism, and it's just this series of question and 
the answer. That's not what confirmation is about. You know, there is some memorization pieces we we ask our students to learn the Lord's Prayer and the um, Apostles' Creed and the Wesley Covenant Prayer. But other than that, we take a very narrative approach. Mm-hmm. I'd rather them be able to tell me the general scope and narrative of scripture and the general story of God about how God is constantly reaching out to redeem humans rather than be able to recite to me, you know, perhaps the order of the books of the Bible. Right. Um, Because again, I I try to make it more about this very approachable, um, you know, story approach. We, that's what our curriculum is called. It's called the story of God. And and again, I always try to make movement a part of our lessons, you know, in a non-COVID world, we are, we are in a classroom, but we, we, we try to make it very, um, you know, movement approach. So we're thinking of different learning styles and discussion approach. And again, encouraging them to ask hard questions, to open up their Bibles. I never put the the Bible passages in their, in their booklets. They have to actually open Mm -hmm. their Bibles and dive into it for themselves. That's awesome. We love to do a few different projects with our confirmands to help like the curriculum stick a little bit better because memorization is not something they're super interested Mm -hmm. in, although we're working on that. Um, But we have them choose a life verse and we give them the tools to find a life verse based off of really anything. Like if they're like, I love running, like then maybe they can find a verse on running in the Bible. Yeah. Right. We're just trying to get the Bible to connect to them. And then when we talk about liturgy, we give them a stole. And we give them a description of all the different colors and what they mean, symbols of the church. And then we have them make a stole. And on one side, it's symbols that represent them. Like my mock stole has a cat and a cup of coffee and the St. Louis <laughs> Cardinals logo. Yes. <laughs> and then my faith side has like a purple uh, uh, communion cap because of the, you know, the symbols and, you know, a uh, orange cross and or a white cross. And anyway, so um, we try to teach them like how to make faith their own in a way that like they can get their hands on it. Mm -hmm. Um, In the past, we've done like something called a statement of faith and doubt where they write Mm. eight things they believe in and then two things they doubt or unsure of, like as a way of teaching them, hey, doubt's a part of faith and like, that's okay. But we're constant. And then um, we have them like write out, not a a testimony per se, but a story of God and how God has impacted their lives with the hope of sharing that with one another and with others, believers and non-believers. Um, so we try to like make it really hands-on for them because the the uh, teaching them like Wesley's three rules and the Wesley quadrilateral yeah. and all of that stuff, like it's fine, but it, it that's not the stuff they're going to take no, away. No, <laughs> no. Yeah, exactly. I, I, one of the things you mentioned, we, we have them write a letter to God at the Mm. end and that's where they kind of ask those things of God or, you know, these are the, you know, it's like a prayer. And of course they are saying, Hey God, these are the things I'm committing to. These are the things I learned in confirmation. Mm. This is how I grew in confirmation, but we also encourage them to say to God, these are the things I'm still struggling with. These are the questions I still mm-hmm. have. These are the doubts I still have. And then every year we collect those back and we mail them back out to them in a few months just to you know, have a way for them to, to reflect back on their confirmation experience so that um, after you know three or four months, they can look back on their confirmation experience and think about how they grew. So it's not just a one and done thing, but they're constantly reflecting back on their process. That's beautiful. 
It's so beautiful. You just kind of on a quick note, there's so many curriculums out there. Could you tell us about your curriculum and how yes. to find it? So I'd love to give a shameless plug. So um, <laughs> we, we built this curriculum. We wrote this curriculum here at Resurrection. And um, there, there's a lot of confirmation curriculums out there, but this one is the one we, we specifically wrote for our church and it's called the story of God. And again, it takes a, a narrative approach to scripture. It's 14 weeks. And that is again, just the one that we, we wrote it to fit into the timeline that we have here at resurrection and you can find it at sharechurch.com and you can create a completely free account. Um, so you will have to create an account to go in and download it, but it is free. You don't have to like pay anything to sign up for it. And then you can download it, you can access it. And, um, and then there's a ton of other great resurrection resources that you can access from that share church platform as well. Cool. So we talked about curriculum. Are we ready to move on to communication? Yes, communication. So communication, I've, and just in general, youth ministry relies upon good communication. <laughs> this is just a solid youth ministry principle. Yep. Um, I always err on the side of over-communication rather than under-communication. It's funny, I just sent out my post-confirmation survey to parents, and one of the questions was, you know, how do you feel about the level of communication you received? You know, it was the right amount of communication. It was not enough communication. It was too much communication or I didn't receive any communication. And most everyone said like, it was the right amount of communication. And one or two people said it was too much communication. And I read that and I felt, okay, I'm doing my job right. <laughs> because I feel like I wanna err on the side of over communication. Um, so for me, I always look at what is my communication pathway. Um, so in a large church like mine, my communication pathway is I communicate to parents and I communicate to mentors. Mm -hmm. And then they're the ones communicating more directly to students, like mm -hmm. either through text messaging or through group messaging platforms. Um, so I'm looking at who are the people that I'm communicating. So I send a weekly letter to parents and weekly email to parents and a weekly email to mentors and then I say, and then here are the things I would like you to communicate down to your students, ones mm. in your small groups. And then for the communication that I want to receive back to me, I, I say, here's the best way you can get a hold of me. And I stick to that. So I mm. say the best way you can get a hold of me is email. Mm -hmm. And then I really just try to be held accountable to that to say, um, and I try to return my emails within one or two days, unless I'm out of the office. Um, but I, I actually don't give out my personal cell phone number to anybody except my immediate coworkers. And, um, but I do allow my office phone to ring to my cell phone. Mm -hmm. um, and I just don't off it. I don't answer it unless it's office hours, but sure. yeah. So then you just, you're very clear about here are my communication expectations mm -hmm. both ways and then stick to them. That's great. One thing that I added in the last year was I found out about Calendly, which is that. right an app that you can use to schedule time. And so I always have my Calendly link in my email signature, and I encourage parents to use that to get a hold of me. Um, every January, I do something called Parent Pastor Conferences. I'm not a pastor, but like it just it has a good ring to it's it, got a you good know. Flow. 
right. <laughs> um, and so I uh, will host like 15 minute check-ins with whoever wants it. And while I have my link open all the time, this is just like an intentional way to like remind people to set up time to talk with me. It's halfway through the confirmation year. Like, let's check in. How's it going? And that's always super, super fruitful. And my confirmation parents are the ones who take the most advantage of it. Mm -hmm. And then um, towards the end of confirmation, um, I started this last year during COVID because we couldn't have a retreat. And I was like, well, how else am I going to tie a bow in this experience? And I heard of another church that does exit interviews with their confirmands. Ooh, yeah. Yeah. So I did the same thing. I set up a link and encouraged every confirmand to do an exit interview. And again, like my Calendly link has increased communication with parents a thousand percent. That's an unofficial number, <laughs> <laughs> but it's been so beneficial for confirmation. I love that. I actually just wrote those both down. I'm going to take advantage of those ideas. Good. So your third C is commitment. Are we yes. ready for that? Yeah, let's go there. So um, commitment, I think in any confirmation program, you need commitment, but in any discipleship pathway that you're trying to invite students into, you need commitment from students and from parents also. You know, this is not something you should invite students into lightly. Um, so there's two ways that I invite commitment. And one is we actually charge for confirmation. Mm -hmm. And I know that sometimes that's kind of controversial, like even within our own church, like we get a lot of pushback, like you shouldn't, you know, you don't charge for baptisms. Why should you charge for confirmation? But there's a couple reasons we do this. And one is because I don't have a budget otherwise. Mm -hmm. So this actually covers my costs. You know, we're a big church, but we're you know, we still have to cover our costs. So right. you know, they get a Bible, they get amazing, a curriculum journal. We have mentors. We never want to charge our mentors for anything. So when my train, my mentors, I always provide them with meals. Mm -hmm. um, they're also getting the same materials. They get a t-shirt. When we have a retreat night, they get, you know, food, everyone gets a meal. Um, you know, we have a ceremony we have to cover the cost for. So when we bring in musicians, when we send out certificates. So everything costs money. And so we do, we do charge a, a fee for that, but this also creates literal buy-in. Mm -hmm. So when you're paying for something, you have more impetus to actually show up for that thing mm -hmm. that you are paying for. Um, and of course we do offer scholarships too. So sure. there's, you know, we have a, we have a large scholarship fund and, and then, you know, we always invite people to take advantage of that if that's something that they need. Um, and then the other way that we invite commitment from people is we communicate our expectations very clearly up front. So as they register, we say, here are the expectations. If you can't meet these expectations, you know, we invite you to come back another year and do this. I communicate it at the parent meeting up front. I communicate it in every email I send out. It's in the journal. It's in the student guide. Um, it's online. It's everywhere. And we say, these are the things we expect from your student. And if they don't meet these expectations, we will not confirm them. Hmm. And like, I, I do try to set a very hard line on that, but I do also show grace as well. If it's, you know, there's extenuating circumstances. So here at Resurrection, our expectations are, um, we ask them to worship. That's one of our like essential practices uh, of being a, a disciple of Christ um, at resurrection. And we don't even ask them to worship every week. <laughs> it ends up being about 
every other week, it's 10 times worship, 10 times throughout your confirmation experience. So that ends up being about twice a month or every other week. We ask them to miss no more than four confirmation sessions out of the um, 15 that we offer. And we ask them to um, do a service project so they can most groups organize a service project on their, like with their group, but we offer, you know, if you miss your group service project, you can make it up on your own through one of the many service opportunities that our church offers. So those are generally the expectations we, we set. And I don't think that they're too unfair. I think they're, they're pretty reasonable. Yeah. And I, I say, Hey, if you, if you can't meet those expectations, this is the, the commitment that you're signing up for. And generally, I get a pretty positive response for that. Commitment is always the area that I struggle with in confirmation. Like, how much do I ask our students to do? Um, I know for for your church, I'm pretty sure this is true, but confirmation is something you do in addition to anything else you do in student ministry, correct? Um, We've we've put it at the same time slot as like our Sunday morning Mm -hmm. um, Sunday school or Sunday gathering program. So that's actually something we've changed. So now it is kind of the eighth grade Sunday morning option now. So, but we, we, we do have Wednesday nights still. Is there an option for your eighth graders at that time? That's not confirmation. They can just go with the seventh grade Sunday school class. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So that's what we have. We, that was like a really intentional effort from us to make sure that like confirmation, um, I don't know, isn't like this weird thing that like you do in addition. Um, and, and we really wanted to blend it into the rest of our ministry so that like, this is the thing you do when you're in seventh Mm -hmm. grade, like this is just a part of it. And then at the end of the year, you have a decision to make. Um, and if you decide not to make that decision, then, you know, we'll reevaluate later. There's a makeup class or, you know, kind of depending on the kid, you know, you know, there's, there's some steps, Um, But it's hard because I have the expectations, I communicate them clearly, but still they'd never get done. So what I added was if you get a hundred percent of your expectations done, okay, you attend every class or we put all of our lessons and assign and like a makeup guide online. Mm -hmm. So you can actually watch it online and then turn in a makeup guide to show that you did every lesson. And that has been really great. So if you do, if you do your service projects, if you attend your Lent service and your Advent service, so we're trying to teach them like you should experience Monday, Thursday. Yeah. Yeah, Like welcome to liturgy. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And those are, that's in a service project. I mean, that's it. Um, If you complete all of that, then we'll give you a special prize. And some kids work really, really hard for the prize, but every year, no matter what I say, guys, you're just, you're confirmed. I will tell people, as long as you make the commitment to God and the commitment to the church and your attendance isn't um, terrible because <laughs> it's about the commitment rather than the commitment to God, rather than like your schedule. But every year, it's just like, it's so messy. And I don't know if that's just like confirmations messy is what I'm doing messy. I don't know. But every youth worker who has confirmation struggles with some aspect of confirmation and for me, the commitment is mm. that piece. Like my curriculum's bomb. I couldn't be a better communicator in my opinion. I don't know. But the commitment is the hard part. How's your retention after confirmation? 
it's increased dramatically since switching to this model. Yeah, that's where, that's my struggle. So like you could see that I don't have a C related to retention. <laughs> Conversion would be that C. And as you can see, I don't have that one in my, in my list of Cs. So maybe in a year or so or two years, I can have a fourth C and that would be conversion once I figure out how to, how to maintain. Um, because that's where we really struggle is um, I can communicate with them. I have an amazing curriculum and I can ask commitment from them, but we do struggle with conversion. Mm -hmm. And that is how do we um, keep them in the church once they have made this commitment to the church? Yeah. We used to, before I took over confirmation, we'd have um, maybe 50 or 60 in confirmation. And then you would look at the eighth grade class the next year and it would be eight to 10. Yeah. Yeah. And now we're up to like 30, 35. Um, great. Which is great. And that, when I say that 50, 60, that's not all of those people weren't there every single week. It was probably around more like the 40 mark, but I mean, it, I mean, it just, it increased dramatically. And I really think that spiritual gifts year for us has been helpful because we're like inviting students back, like discover something about yourself. You know, I think, I think kids are really into that. Um, but yeah, it's retention is a struggle. And I would love <laughs> to hear from any youth workers, like if you are really good at retention. I think few of us feel we are, but if you are really good, I'd love to hear how you yes. got there. Cause for me, it's trying to make confirmation look like every other year of middle school, you just get confirmed at the end. Um, but maybe there's some more secrets here. Always- yeah. And I think for us, they think confirmation is a graduation rather than an yep. invitation to, to be a part of the church in a more fuller way. Okay, here's a random question that I did not prepare you for at all. Unscripted. But I was thinking about this the other day. Do you guys require your confirmation students' parents to be members of the church in order for them to be confirmed? We do not. I was thinking about this the other day because we have so many people come out of just nowhere to get confirmed and then like their parents haven't attended in three years yeah and that's true for us as well but I I cannot like in good conscience require that because part of our church's mission and vision and purpose is Mm -hmm. to reach non and nominally religious um, families and non and nominally religious students so I do have a lot of students that have been a part of our youth group but whose families are not a part of our church, but the students themselves want to be confirmed because this is their church home, but their families don't necessarily have a huge commitment to our church. And I still want to invite them to be a part of confirmation. That's great. Um, Really quick. I know a lot of people are trying to figure out how do I confirm my kids in COVID? Yeah. Do you have any ideas around that? So we did it almost completely online this year. Mm-hmm. And um, except for the ceremony, we did do the ceremony in person, but we did a combination of YouTube and Zoom. Mm-hmm. So um, we did, the videos were on YouTube. I always did it as a premiere so that you could do the like chat mm-hmm. feature where kids could dialogue and engage with each other and with you know the video. And um, that seemed to work well because then it was kind of cool. They could see like, oh, wow, a hundred other people are watching this live. And so mm-hmm. they could feel like it wasn't just, they yeah. were alone in their room watching <laughs> it. They were watching it live with other people. And then immediately after the video ended, they logged onto Zoom with their, with their small group and with their mentors. Um, 
I would say the girls groups, generally speaking, like Zoom a lot more because they tended to, you know, not to gender stereotype, but Mm -hmm. they tended to engage in more positive conversation and dialogue. Um, I heard from a lot of my guy mentors, um, cause we do, ha- we do have girls groups and guys groups. We did have a couple mixed gender groups, but the guys groups, um, said that it was a real struggle for them to engage mm-hmm. in conversation. And I'm sure that youth groups all over the country are having that same problem, but I would just encourage them, like call on your students, like say like, Hey, Bobby, we haven't heard you from you in a while. What did you think about this scripture passage or just really, you know, say, Hey, I really want to see your faces. Let's all put our screens on. I know we're tired. I know it's early on a Sunday morning, but I don't care what your bedroom looks like. Like, let's just, (laughs) let's just all make a commitment to engage for the next 20 minutes, um, as best as we can and just, you know, be okay with a little bit of awkwardness, um, and try to live into that space as much as we can. And, um, I, I think it worked and um, I did get a lot of positive feedback from parents to say, hey, we all know that this was a struggle, but we are so grateful that you offered confirmation even in the midst of COVID. That's great. I know um, we have been doing, we usually do confirmation as a part of big church, but we've had to do separate services just for confirmation last year. And we've been, mm-hmm. we've been fortunate that we have a large enough sanctuary where we can um, really spread out in it and do confirmation really well. We adapted the service completely in order Same. to do this, but we, yeah, we had an awesome confirmation service in August for last year's kiddos. And now we're planning the one for the end of this year in April. So I'm excited to not confirm them six months late. <laughs> yep. Thanks COVID. Um, and then I have heard of, um, some people doing like private confirmations, like outside under a tent and like families sign up for their time or like confirm small groups together. And I just think that is really special and really neat as well. Um, so I have just been really impressed with the way people have gotten very creative fifth C during (laughs) confirmation this year. Yes. Yeah. We just are confirmation services uh, two weeks ago. And we, we did just a service for confirmation, which is our typical model, but we actually had to do four services instead of just one big services. Mm -hmm. And we, um, again, we're fortunate to have a big enough sanctuary where we could all socially distance. I had a massive spreadsheet where I gave everyone (laughs) assigned seating. So they just, they came in, they walked straight to their assigned seating. Everyone was six feet apart. And, um, we kept everyone, to be confirmed at the same time slot as their small group. Um, but we kept it to only a few small groups at a time were being confirmed. And, um, but yeah, I, I love seeing the creativity behind how people are, are managing confirmation and just youth ministry in general in COVID. Um, but I, I'm excited to also hopefully do a, a semi-normal confirmation mm-hmm. program next year. However, um, the reality is I think that we are going to always offer an online confirmation program going forward, just because I see now that this, this has really benefited a lot of families, both here locally in Kansas city, where I live, but, um, also around the country. I, you know, we now have members who ha- who believe, you know, who make church of the resurrection, their home church, yeah. but are worshiping in Wisconsin and Texas mm-hmm. and California all over the country. Yeah. And so we will always now be offering confirmation fully online for those that prefer it in that way. 
Yeah, we're trying to figure that out as well because we have a scene situation where people are tuning in from other states. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, we have a lot of snowbirds down in Florida and uh, and they feel more engaged this year during COVID than ever before because we've really amped up our online offerings. And one of my small group leaders this year uh, lives in California. She yeah. used to attend St. Luke's in person, but has been in California and has stepped up to lead an online group. And so we definitely are asking the question, like after this year, like how, like, do we have enough people who are watching us from online where we need an online youth group? But that's like another podcast for another day. Another day. (laughs) We don't have time to get into that mostly because I don't know yet. I have no clue. I'm way out of my league on that one. (laughs) So um, we are the Women in Youth Ministry podcast. As we wrap up, what word do you have for the women listening? Like what advice or thought or prayer or anecdote or joke? Um, what do you have to say to the women listening? Uh, I'll share has been my Lenten practice this year, Mm -hmm. and that is, um, grace. And so give Mm -hmm. grace to others, but more importantly, give grace to yourself because we all need it. I love that. Shannon, thank you so much for being on this episode. Sometime we'll have to tell everybody how you and I met. (laughs) (laughs) And our, and our common, our common, um, date in Randy. <laughs> well, now you said it, guys. I totally had a crush on Shannon's now husband when I was in high school. I was such a nerd for him. Um, but then he started dating You've Shannon. You've got good taste. You've got good taste. And he has good taste as well because he has a thing for for women youth pastors. I don't think he has a thing. I don't, I think he like he has got went a type. to home. I was gonna say he went to homecoming with me out of pity, I think, not because he liked me. I was such a nerd. <laughs> it's okay we're all I'm not a nerd anymore thank god for that I'm still a nerd for for God's grace (laughs) well Shannon's been awesome having you on we're gonna link to Shannon's social media so you can connect with her we're also gonna link to the confirmation materials that she's written at church of the res and um all of that will be in the episode details along with her bio so Shannon thank you so much thanks for having me Heather Yes. And to everyone, we will see you next week. If you enjoyed this podcast, don't forget to rate us five stars and follow us on Insta or Twitter at Women in YM. If you are a woman, we'd love to have you in our Facebook community. Go to womeninyouthministry.com to learn more. To listen to more podcasts from the Youth Cartel Podcast Network, go to the youthcartel.com slash podcast dash network.